Welcome to the Additive Snack Podcast. I'm your host, Fabian Allerfeld. And today, we have a story that merges the thrilling worlds of professional basketball, innovative engineering, and viral marketing. Picture this, a packed stadium of roaring fans, eagerly watching the spectacle that is the AT&T Slam Dunk Contest at the NBA All-Star Weekend. Amidst the buzz of excitement, the flash of cameras, and the soaring dunks, something remarkable is taking place. The Houston Rockets player, KJ Martin Jr., steps up, and in his hands, he's holding a piece of history. The first ever 3D-printed airless prototype basketball, developed by Wilson Sporting Goods, the official basketball brand of the NBA. Today, we're thrilled to bring you the brilliant mind behind this groundbreaking innovation, Dr. Nadine Lippa from Wilson, who led the product development of this airless prototype basketball. And that's not all. We're also joined by Tyler Webb, a renowned sports marketing influencer, whose viral video about this basketball sent ripples across the internet, reaching more than 40 million views. Get ready as we dive deep into the thrilling journey of the Wilson airless basketball. Nadine, welcome to Added of Snack. Thanks, Fabian. Appreciate that. Happy to be here. So let me start by taking you back to February 18th of 2023, which I think was one of the most unforgettable days in your career, where you were on site at the NBA dunk contest. And I can already imagine the sounds of fans cheering, the adrenaline you had when you walked in. Can you tell us a bit more about that experience? How did it feel to be at the NBA dunk contest? And also, how did you get there? It felt very surreal. Definitely wasn't expecting to get there this year, if at all. And so I think even just being on site, you could feel the electricity of the event and everyone anticipates the dunk contest every year. So knowing that we were going to play a special part in that was also just really exhilarating. Another big part was just coming into the arena, I had a ticket to get in, but there was a little bit of maneuvering among the team to get me down onto the floor. But my teammates stepped up and they sorted that out along with some of our NBA colleagues and they got me courtside for the dunk contest. That's awesome. And I'm sure you were uh, super nervous as well. And then the face you saw was, if I remember correctly, Shaquille O'Neal. Is that right? <laughs> yes. So basically the ball was inside this huge case that we had designed uh, myself, my colleague Hudson Bantries, Alan Libowitz, and a few other people had designed this huge case that had a fog machine inside. Mm -hmm. And so the reason, like the actual rationale why I needed to be courtside was not just to meet Shaq, but was also to press the fog machine button. So as soon as I got down there, Hudson handed me the button and they uh, got ready to roll it out, but I couldn't see the case. And so I kept holding up this fob for lack of a better word and making my way through the crowd of this wall of very tall basketball players yeah. and as i approached the front i saw the back of shaq's head wow and realized that i was standing right next to him in order to get a perfect view of my duty to run the fog machine did that deter you from pressing the button <laughs> no, I think in a nervous way, I was just hitting that button. Just, and it was funny because as people saw me holding it up, uh, the players were like, oh, she's doing something important. Let her let her up front. So it was kind of my key to the kingdom to get to the front of the line, which was nice. That's awesome. The magic key. And then what happened at the dunk contest? Well, I want to finish my Shaq story okay, and then I'll talk about the dunk contest. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. 
So I get to the front of the line and, you know, he has his shack cam that he brings them everywhere. And I didn't know he had an assistant. So he keeps leaning over and I'm standing between Shaq and his assistant. So he mistook me for his assistant. Oh. And he keeps turning around and looking at me and saying, where's my girl? Where's my girl? And I'm like, I'm not your girl. <laughs> I'm like, I'm someone else's girl, <laughs> which was very funny. But he was he was very nice. And we exchanged just a few words. And he saw what I was doing and commented that the ball was pretty cool. So that was a, a unexpected but pleasant surprise. And you're right. I was super nervous watching KJ Martin get ready and excited for him uh, to be in the dunk contest. And then of course the ball's debut, was it going to perform and was the whole system going to run the way we were hoping it to? That's incredible. I mean, you know, who can say that they conversed with Shaq and, you know, it's uh, I'm sure a moment that you'll never forget. And it's also really cool that additive really got you there. So what happened? What happened next? Yeah. So then what happened next is the ball was wheeled out. The fog machine functioned as expected. The team was all ready. And KJ was about to do his dunk. And actually, we thought that it was going to be used for the first dunk, but it ended up a last minute change. He used it for his second dunk. Hmm. So that was a little bit of the team was what's going to happen. And there is some excitement and fluidity of sport that it's not like a theater performance where you know what's going to happen next if you're backstage. It's like the players are responding to real time events. So that was a very, I have all the emotions at that moment because you're like, are we going to use it? Yeah. But then he actually did. And he did a really awesome dunk where it worked together with his dad, Kenyon Martin, who had also played in the NBA. Hmm. And the dad threw it off the backboard. KJ jumped up, dropped the ball down to his ankles and dunked it in. And he made it and the ball bounced and he dribbled it and the judges had checked it out. So we were, we were golden. Yeah. That's when years of work all come into one little moment that is totally worth it, I can mm -hmm. imagine. So I want to step back a little bit because I think the basketball story is so unique and it, it almost sounds so normal that there is a 3D printed basketball on a court. But that's a long journey for yourself and, and for an organization like Wilson to get to that point. Can you tell me a little bit about the the journey of Wilson into additive and some of the applications that you've worked on prior to this moment? Sure. So um, Wilson has been working with Additive prior to me starting in 2018. So I, I'm not a full historian of all of our efforts prior to then, but a lot of our industry used 3D printing, especially for prototyping. Mm -hmm. We've had a couple different machines in our innovation center facility for those purposes or outsourced for various projects. And then when I started in 2018 was right at the time when our industry and maybe others were starting to consider additive more for producing the good instead of just prototyping the good. So when I came in, that was when the idea was first floated. What are all the different ways we can make basketball mm -hmm. besides how we make basketball today? And basketball really just being any of our balls, but starting with a major part of our business, a round ball, that kind of thing. So Additive was one of, at the time, six technologies that I started investigating mm -hmm. for reinventing uh, basketball and talked to a lot of different companies. I really knew fairly little about Additive, especially relative to what I've known through this project. Mm -hmm. So just understanding the entire ecosystem that's involved 
you know, at first when you enter, you think that you're going to talk to one company and they'll be your one-stop shop, but that's certainly not the case in any manufacturing environment. So seeing that in additive was also pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, you're totally right. Additive is neither a one-stop shop nor a plug-and-play technology. So there's a lot that has to come together in order to build that yeah, real full value and supply chain. And before touching that basketball, which we'll also show in a second, you guys also worked on some applications. I remember a a driver versus driver contest and some other applications as well. Which which ones came prior to the basketball? Yeah, so the two that we've released publicly, um, Wilson worked with EOS on a driver versus driver. So driver versus driver, back up. That's a reality show that Wilson Golf was running. I think with the golf channel mm -hmm. and EOS was used as a technology for people to make a fully functional driver head for the show. So it's kind of like a reality show competition where different people design um, clubs to optimize different performance parameters. So that was one project. And then maybe others in this space have heard about the project Wilson and myself worked on with Azul with a 3D printed pickleball paddle. Yeah, it's it's I think interesting and important to mention that you know the basketball doesn't just come up out of nowhere. There were various steps that you you and Wilson took and gathered. I'm sure also a lot of experience in building these uh, these value chains to get where where you are today. Do you have the basketball with you? Can we show it? I do. Nice. All right. Here it is. Can you explain to especially the listeners on Apple Podcasts and Spotify what you're holding up right now? Sure. So the ball that I'm holding up right now is the ball that KJ Martin used in the dunk contest. And it's a black lattice. It's looks like a basketball. It has the channels of a basketball. It has a Wilson logo and an NBA logo at the pole of the ball. And the lattice itself is hexagonal. Also have maybe some pentagons in there. And as I mentioned, two layers with radial beams projecting into the second layer. That's awesome. It is one of the coolest polymer applications we've, we've certain, certainly seen in the industry. Now, let's dive deeper into that basketball, because as I mentioned, it is super complex to develop these types of applications, especially if we look at the true performance. I think anybody can print a basketball today, but printing a basketball that can perform as a conventional basketball, that's the crux. So how did you guys get there? How did you select a technology design iterations, what were the process steps you you went along with? Sure. So as I mentioned in 2018, I started just learning about the ecosystem and had no idea where to start. Certainly looked at a lot of different technologies. I don't think powder was necessarily obvious to me from the beginning, but knowing the print bed size of, of SLS made it much easier to navigate just from the beginning because we weren't having to make these little tiny samples and try to understand one day when the print volume is bigger, what, how will those perform? So that was a big deal for navigating that. And then from the material side, I think the material that we use wasn't even necessarily available when I started in 2018. Mm -hmm. So an interesting lesson for me as an innovator and a future looking person is sometimes when you start a project, you hope that you're getting on the on-ramp as that material or that solution is also entering the picture so that you can be a fast mover. Definitely the first prototypes we were making were like PA12 
and were just very conceptual. I would show them to people and they would be like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Is this just something I put on my shelf? And to explain to people that with a lattice, we could make something that would be soft and would rebound and wouldn't hurt your fingers, wouldn't feel like you're catching a cheese grater. If people could not conceptualize that. But I think the people in innovation, we understood that that was coming down the pipe and we were just waiting for the right solution. That's awesome. And yeah, can you talk a little bit about the the iterative process that you guys went through? I'm sure there were a lot of tests and uh, you had to tweak certain parameters and, and designs of the of the ball. Sure. So we know that a basketball is 600 grams approximately. So I think every time we went through an iteration, we started with, we want to get, you know, end goal is getting to 600 grams. If, if I hand a player something that's 650, that's all they're going to tell me. They're not going to tell me anything else. Really? And same thing if I hand them something that's 550. So we knew that that was very critical to hit that mass. Mm -hmm. So whether we were printing in PA 12 or in our existing material, that was a, a primary concern. And then I would say, We started with the design of try to make it look basketball-like. So creating channels, making this structure lobby, that actually didn't come overnight. That really was able to be implemented once we had General Lattice join us. Before that, actually, some of these features were really difficult to implement in some of the other CAD programs that we were using. Mm -hmm. So that also was a work in progress. So I would say in terms of the iterative process, we were, as technology came to us on the software side, we were able to improve the design. And as technology came to us on the printing side or on the material side, that affected the design as well, meeting the mass requirements, trying to get the rebound that we wanted, adding different features, changing cell sizes. So we definitely started off with something that was basketball-like. Mm -hmm. And now we have something that is a basketball. Yeah, that's a perfect definition, actually. Right? Basketball-like to a true basketball. And I'm sure that there were a lot of challenges along the way that came unexpected that uh, you guys had to figure out. What were some of the biggest challenges you, you came across? Definitely a lot of challenges. One of the challenges was actually translating some of the material requirements to the various people in this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So I, I had an idea of what those material requirements needed to be. And then sometimes would speak with people that had different ideas about what that should be. So I guess an example I can give early on is I, one of the people I was speaking with very early on, I explained, I needed a ball that rebounds back to your hand. I needed something with very good energy return. Mm -hmm. And I drew a little plot of what that looked like from a material standpoint. And I was like, this is what I want. And they went off and they worked to try to find a material a combination that would work for us. And they came back and they said, of all the materials I reviewed, I think metal would be your best solution. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, What? maybe this isn't going to work out. <laughs> I mean, I understand funny. why it came out that way because metal does function in its elastic region. And at the time, we didn't have the elastomers available to us that we do now. So I don't think it was unreasonable that they came to that conclusion, but it was more, that's just an example of a challenge where you have something in mind that you want. And if when someone's answering the question with what's available, it wasn't even feasible for our application. That's super fun. And you're right. I think when I first started EOS, I remember seeing a small round metal ball 
in the office back then in 2016 or so. And that thing really bounced back all the way into your hand. Uh, like, I could, I'd be terrified to catch yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or not. And it hits your head. Uh, that's hilarious. Right. So challenges aside, though, this thing is uh, is the real deal. And as you said in the beginning, this basketball was at the NBA dunk contest. And there's been a lot of buzz around the airless prototype so far. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the, the interest that it has seen from the market? Sure. So there's probably two ways that you can talk about this. One is the digital response and one is the in-person responses. Mm -hmm. So from a digital standpoint, we had a making of video that my colleague Jen Breyer led from our creative team. The video was really great. And actually the video was so good that it got picked up by a lot of different sources online, sometimes chopped and screwed a little bit and some details added that may or may not be exactly precise. But nonetheless, those videos and our video all took off. One video in particular or a series of videos uh, went viral mm -hmm. and were even picked up by Sports Center. So that was really unexpected. I think for me, I kept envisioning the pinnacle was the dunk contest itself. But what I didn't expect was this second wave of interest from this huge digital community of people just everything from criticizing the ball or uh, to celebrating the ball, wanting to know more, wanting to know when they could buy one. Just an entire conversation opened up online that has been very interesting to engage in. Yeah, it can totally relate. One of my friends here in Austin reached out to me because he saw that video and he said, you know, Fabi, I never would have thought that I see anything related to you on ESPN <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I'm German. I don't watch football. I don't watch basketball or baseball yet. And he always makes fun of me for that. You know, he always says he's going to have to teach my son how to throw a ball. So that was a, a pretty interesting <laughs> story for me as well to see a project that we were engaged with to see on, on such, such a large channel. And you even won some awards. Can you uh, talk about those? Yes, I absolutely can. I, I actually had a second part of my question. I also would like to. All right, then let's jump into that two. one. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So. I talked a little bit about people's response on the digital side, but we've also ha had for the very first time after five years of keeping everything secret, mm -hmm. we've been able to get this ball out to the masses to some degree. The ball was shown at NBA crossover, which is like a fan event that happens alongside the dunk contest and the whole all-star weekend. And that was like all basketball fans, which was interesting. The ball went to two different trade show or yeah, I guess three different trade shows and additives. So it went to AMUG, mm -hmm. Rapid and Rapid 3D Tech. And then also, so that's a different audience, right? That's all additive nerds like us. Yeah. And then the ball most recently went to the Wall Street Journal Future of Everything conference, which is a different cross section, more like future tech designer um, not necessarily athletes, but looking future manufacturing kind of groups. So among those three different groups of people, we've been getting a lot of feedback that has been very helpful for me not having been able to gain these insights prior. Yeah. And I'm sure also stressful because all of a sudden everybody, including myself, wants to talk to Nadine about her really cool project. Let's look a little bit ahead. You know, this is, as I mentioned earlier, one of the, if not the most seen additive manufacturing application. 
Prior to that, it uh, may have been an aerospace product. And now we've actually have a consumer product that has been seen by many folks out there, including engineers. And I do wonder what the, the future of additive manufacturing looks like for Wilson. Now, do you have that true success story that kind of proves that people are receptive for this type of manufacturing technology? Sure. I would say from a marketing standpoint, we do have a success story. Mm -hmm. And from a marketing of additive and awareness and that kind of thing, we have a success story. But my ultimate goal is not just to show a cool project that we're working on. My ultimate goal is to make a product. Sure. And so from my perspective, showing this wall publicly has just kicked off a passionate effort to try to commercialize this in some way, shape, or form. So definitely interested to do that and learning more about the business side of this effort, learning also about how we're using a completely different supply chain, completely different uh, methods, and even a little more R&D to get the scale up up and running. So very interesting to me in my career, but just to explain to people, I think sometimes people see something on a screen or on, on uh, TV and they think, okay, cool, they're going to release these next week. Well, there is still quite a lot of work to be done by a huge team of people to bring this to life. Yeah, totally. And if I would compare it with the, the software world, maybe, you know, you've, you've shown the MVP and the MVP may have shown that you're onto something. And now, you know, you've proven to yourself that it's worth the investment to go into, into the next stage. Is that a correct uh, comparison? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And it's also just very cool to see that we've started a trend. I mean, even since the dunk contest, we've seen other people creating um, various types of balls. I mean, again, not the engineering that goes into making a fully functional basketball or other sporting good product, but to see that we've started this, ignited this trend and this excitement around um, additive and sport is just really great as well. Yeah, 100%. Ever since you guys released this product or this uh, prototype, I've seen folks on, on LinkedIn, for example, even designing their own balls and sharing uh, sharing their designs. So yeah, I think, you know, as you said, everybody in theory can print a ball, but printing it to spec, that is the, the true challenge. And that's the true engineering behind additive in that space. Nadine, I want to ask you one more question. And that is, you are not only a great engineer and a PhD uh, that works for Wilson, you're also a mom, you're, you have a family. And if I understand correctly, you even involved your family or your family was involved in this project in, in various facets. Can we talk about that? Because I think it's such a cool story. Yeah, absolutely. So what's really special is I have three little kids. I have uh, twin girls that are four and a half and I have a son who's two and a half. And so, you know, when I say I've been working on this project for five years, that was before I had any children. So it's been very fun. My kids have seen me bring home various uh, prototypes across all my projects. And to them, it's just another ball. It's I've been very interesting as an engineer to just bring home some very ugly sample that <laughs> we were going to throw away. And the kids are gravitating toward it. And then all they want to do is play with that ball. And so learning through their eyes what the next generation um, may be interested in has been very interesting. And then specific to this 3D printing project, I originally couldn't bring home any samples because my husband works in the additive manufacturing area. Yeah. And so knowing that he was doing that, that was something I had to basically keep completely quiet about at home. 
until we started working with EOS and my husband, Dave, also started working at EOS. So that was fun because he was on the engineering side and up for EOS and I was on the engineering side for Wilson. And so samples came home, the kids got to play with them. My daughter, Ariana, was the first person to ever dunk a 3D printed (laughs) basketball. And my son, Revo, was the first man to ever, I guess, boy, to ever dunk a basketball and Tasman as well. So it's been pretty cool just to go from something that was completely separate from my family to being able to integrate that. So... Yeah, it's an awesome story. You got unbiased testers at home that will probably tell you if something <laughs> something is not a good idea or doesn't work. But you also you're you're raising future engineers there, uh, hopefully at least, which I think is very incredible. I even got to meet your kids and your family a few weeks ago. What can I say? Really, really fun family. Got to read the Bad Seed book to them. That was a, a really fun <laughs> night. Nadine, yes. I want to thank you so much for, for being on this podcast uh, and sharing your experience, your expertise, and also your stories with us. I think a lot of people uh, get inspired by the product that you've uh, you've released, uh, not only existing engineers, but hopefully also the next generation. And uh, yeah, thanks again. And it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. This has been great. As Nadine mentioned, the airless prototype basketball went viral. So let's take this conversation a step further. We're honored to have Tyler Webb with us, co-founder of Uncle Charlie and an esteemed sports marketer. Tyler, with his unique perspective, has been instrumental in navigating the intersection of sports and engineering. He recently made waves with this viral TikTok video covering the airless prototype basketball. This is what Tyler said in his video. Basketball has no air, and it's the future of the NBA. At this year's All-Star Game, Wilson unveiled one of the craziest pieces of sports engineering I've ever seen, a see-through basketball that doesn't need to be inflated. It's so interesting to see how additive manufacturing is not only a tool to enhance the performance of applications or create more agile supply chains. No, it's also becoming a tool to increase brand value and awareness. But let's hear what Tyler has to say. Tyler, welcome to Additive Snack. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. So Tyler, we just listened to the beginning of your TikTok clip where you talk about the Wilson Airless basketball. You sounded really amazed and I can hear it in your voice and I can see it in your eyes. Can you tell us what were your thoughts when you first saw the Wilson Airless prototype? Yeah, so my first experience with the ball was similar to what I assume many people's was where we saw it in the dunk contest used by Kenny Martin Jr., and, you know, I thought the whole unveiling process, you know, was brought out in like this glass case and like, you know, it was very like futuristic, like it, it almost resembled some scene from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the ball was used. It was kind of, you know, it didn't get as much airtime as I would have liked to have seen. And then that was sort of it. And that the image stuck with me of this ball that had holes and it, like it just seemed totally not of this world. I was, you know, enamored and wanted to learn more, obviously. And so I did a little digging and the team at Wilson and EOS did a great job documenting the whole process where you could, you know, see what, how the ball was created from the ideation of it to the manufacturing of it. And, and I got really interested in like, what is the purpose of this? I think that was the first question I really asked myself, which is like, why do we need this? Mm-hmm. I think it's the question a lot of people ask there, you know, the, the, the concept of if it ain't broke, don't fix it came up a lot where somebody's like, why do we need to change what a basketball is um and and that was you know the thought i had and honestly to the point of that video 
which now has combined like over 50 million views just on my channels alone. It was like reposted on SportsCenter and ESPN, which is super, super cool for me personally. But of course, for like the, the application of this ball, but even after all that success, like going back to when I was creating the, you know, the, the video mm-hmm. or the concept for the video, I remember kind of pushing it down the line. I remember having, you know, seeing the, the ball in the dunk contest and I didn't actually make the video for another week and a half just because I was kind of like, it, it felt gimmicky to me. I, I'll be honest. It felt like, yeah, again, the question of why kept, kept resurfacing, but um, as I did the research into the video and, and made the video and, you know, it, it did as well as it did. And people started asking all these questions in the comments, you know, from really silly things like what happens if a rock gets stuck in the ball because there's holes in it all the way down to like, again, this really existential question of why do we need this? I found myself more interested in, in answering those questions as you know, thousands of other people started asking them as well. And that launched me into this whole world of additive manufacturing that I, I really didn't see myself getting into at all. But now that I'm here, I'm just totally nerding out and, and geeking out. And, and your guys' team at US has been awesome in, in helping explain some of this stuff to me like I'm five years old because I've, I've certainly needed it. Yeah, welcome to the additive manufacturing world. <laughs> it's truly an exciting world. And, you know, for us, it's also exciting because additive manufacturing or 3D printing has been around for more than 30 years. But a minority of people really understand the potential of it. And if they've seen additive manufacturing, they've seen trinkets or small gadgets that were printed by their cousin in his garage. And now Tyler comes along and puts this video out, which, as you just mentioned, has more than 40, 50 million views now, you say? Yeah, I mean, it's probably even more than that. I was just counting on my own like channels, the views that I can track. But, you know, between ESPN and SportsCenter and all the other places, it's probably been posted. I mean, it, it has to be close to 100 billion views. It's insane. Yeah. So this might make this basketball the most seen additive manufacturing application ever created. And that's quite an achievement. Did you expect that? No, I didn't. Like I said, when I, when I first created the video, I, I kept kind of pushing it down the line because there were more you know, pressing. So the content that I make is on is on sports business. So there's always a new story that pops up with, you know, a game that just happened or with a contract that just got signed or a media rights deal that just got agreed to. So there's always new and fresh things. And this airless basketball concept to me was just kind of always an evergreen thing to me. I was kind of thinking I was going to come back to it if I didn't have something for a certain day. Mm-hmm. And that day happened. And um, I certainly did not expect it to, to do as, as well as it did. But I, I think it really calls into question like why people are interested in this sort of thing. Um, and I, and I know we'll talk about this later and I don't want to jump the gun, but to me, it just is such a cool vessel to get into this entire world of additive manufacturing. And I think that basketball did such a great job encapsulating that inherent interest that a lot of people have in 3D printing and additive, additive manufacturing that they maybe don't even realize. Yeah, you know what, let's, let's just talk about it now. So, you know, as a sports marketer, I'm sure you don't use the term engineering or additive manufacturing all the time. No. But with this project, you know, it really showed that there's an interest out there. Do you believe that engineering should play a larger role in sports? I totally think it should. I mean, as I, you know, started to learn more about the application for this ball, but even the application of other sports equipment, um, to me, the things that stood out were safety, uh, replicability, sustainability. These are all like very interesting things that I'd never considered. So like to the point of sustainability first, this idea that a basketball, which we don't really ever think about getting made, has so many different components to it that need to be sourced from so many different parts of the world that take so long to get put together and you know require like so much effort to kind of get stitched together and have this final product that's on one end of the spectrum. And that's just what we assume to be standard, where now 
we have a product that can be made out of a single material made in a single day. You know, that material manufacturing can happen and be sourced from a single place. And we can almost have this on-demand ordering happening. And at the total end of its life cycle for this product, it can then be stripped back down to its most basic parts because it's only made out of one material and then remade again. Like that to me just absolutely blew my mind. And I think for me, it was not a matter of, oh, I didn't think about how this technology could be used, but it was more of a matter of like, we assume so many things to just be standard and to this idea of if it ain't broke, don't fix it, that are just fine. And we're just good with them be good enough. Like thinking about how these applications could then be applied to all of the other areas in, in sports was like, I don't know how to how to describe it other than it's like a, a you know door opening in front of you. It's like heavenly music playing. It's like, oh my gosh, you you sort of see the light and you see the vision of of what a lot of this stuff can can become. Yeah, exactly. And you know, in many other industries we've had similar effects, right? The medical industry didn't adopt additive manufacturing from today to tomorrow. There was a lot of resistance and all of a sudden one application flipped the switch and today we produce double-digit percentage of uh, implants using additive manufacturing. The space industry uses additive manufacturing for combustion chambers that go up into space on all major launches that you see today. So there's a good chance this is that moment for uh, for the sports industry. And you also went to Rapid, which is one of the largest additive manufacturing trade shows. Definitely out of your forte, but... Yes. What did you think when you got to the show and you realized additive manufacturing is more than a basketball? What were your impressions? You know, I'll be honest and say my first impression was, man, how cool is it that a basketball can sort of be the entry point for a lot of people? Even after going to that conference, I just kept reflecting on the fact that for me, who's like a person of average intelligence that doesn't understand a lot of the stuff that was happening at this conference, to be able to see a basketball, because I know what a basketball is supposed to feel like. I know how it's supposed to play. I know what it's made out of. Like, I know all these things about it. And to have it be made out of something completely different with a completely different manufacturing process, I felt enabled to have an opinion about that piece of technology. And I think a lot of people online did as well. Obviously, there's no shortage of unsolicited opinions on the internet. But for a lot of people, it was their way to say, and ask questions that are, I think, really important. Like, okay, how does this thing actually look and feel? And why are there holes? And why does it need to be coded a certain way? And what is the process like? And, you know, how does the design impact the the inevitable performance of the ball? And like, these are all really, I learned actually pretty like important and high level questions in the process of designing and creating this thing that I don't think a lot of people would feel comfortable asking about something they don't know about. So for it to be a basketball, which we all have an experience with, that I can then go look and feel and play with and do like a direct comparison with between what we have now and what we could have, I think was really empowering for me as somebody who didn't know a lot about it. And then once you start asking those questions, I think if you're a naturally curious person, that just spawns a whole litany of places that you can go with, okay, now that I understand at a very base level, like the basketball is an analogy of what like 3D printing could provide to us as a society. Like I feel empowered to then go and ask other questions about other areas I might not already feel so comfortable in. And so that being an entry point, um, I, I thought was really powerful and, and maybe an unintended consequence of, of what this ball is trying to be. But I really feel like that might be a lasting impact of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I, I totally agree. And, you know, to, to come back to that performance part that you mentioned, that's the key of additive in this space, right? Is to match the performance of a conventionally manufactured basketball, but also elevate it through the technology. And now we're not only talking about supply chain, we're also talking about the basketball itself. As I think you also mentioned in your videos, it doesn't deflate. And that's that unique 
value added out of manufacturing ads from a from a performance perspective. Now you don't refer to yourself as an additive manufacturing expert, and that's okay. Uh, thank you still for being on an additive manufacturing podcast. But you're a sports expert, and you know sports all the way through various applications. There, where do you believe additive manufacturing could have an impact on certain? sports or uh, sports articles that that are out there today that also haven't been touched for for decades or centuries. Yeah, so I, I think about it in two pretty distinct ways. So I'll start with safety being first. Um, I was able to see the Bauer React hockey helmet that you guys have partnered mm -hmm. um, with Bauer on where you can essentially scan somebody's head and have a custom molded lining that goes inside of their hockey helmet. And there's obviously applications to that for batting helmets and football helmets and motorcycle, like all these different um, helmets. And, um, you know, to me, that made a lot of sense because I played high school sports and you have still like in 2023, these like, st they're not styrofoam, but they're like these old crusty foam helmets that you put on. Yeah. And really the only fit test is you put on a football helmet and somebody grabs the face masks. And if it shakes too much, it's like too loose. You know what I mean? And it's like a total on unscientific process for <laughs> what is the most important part arguably of your body mm -hmm. and especially um for kids and in a lot of these sports we're seeing a decrease in youth participation for football and for hockey even for things like lacrosse that are really high contact sports because we are starting to understand the impact of collisions especially on a young person's head and so if we can help mitigate the impact of those collisions um help make these sports safer through these technologies i think we can then see like a renewed swell in um, participation for sports because what the downline effect of, you know, lack of participation in youth sports is obviously then we have fewer people to participate in college sports and professional sports. And while I don't think those, you know, professional sports leagues are going to go away anytime soon, I think there is a, a real second order effect sometime decades in the future where if we don't have enough people being interested in playing them as a kid. We're not going to have enough people, one, playing them in the future or two, being interested in them in the future. One of the biggest markers for if somebody's going to be a sports fan um, of a specific league, this is something that especially hockey looks at is, you know, why isn't our sport growing is because it's not super accessible for people to play at a young age. And part of that is because of the safety concerns. Mm -hmm. So if you can get more people to even play hockey as a kid, it's more likely they're going to be a fan of the league when they grow up. So all of these different considerations have effects on who's playing and who's watching these professional you know, multi-billion sports leagues in the future. So I think that safety part is, is one really huge aspect that stood out to me. The other one is, is in this question of like performance and how these actual sports evolve. So this whole question around why does this basketball have to exist, I thought was a really interesting one. Mm -hmm. And what Dr. Dave Krasminski, who's on your team, explained to me is I, I would distill his answer to basically being like, why not? You know, you look at what a basketball specifically has been throughout history. You know, it used to have like laces and be made completely of leather. And that ball was probably heavier. It was probably harder to grip. It was probably not as aerodynamic. And eventually throughout history, we got a ball that was grippier, easier to shoot, flew truer through the air. And so like, even from, you know, pretty like rudimentary start to where we are now, you know, maybe it's not a quantum leap that we made, but we made the ball perform differently. Mm -hmm. And what Dr. Dave told me was, well, why can't we keep making the ball perform differently? And I think there's really interesting questions in basketball where you see like this huge scoring boom that's happening. And a lot of people are complaining, like too many points are being scored, or now it's too easy to shoot three pointers, or we need to institute something like a four point line so that we can keep incentivizing people to take harder shots. Maybe some of that incentivization starts with a ball where maybe the ball's harder to shoot. Maybe it's a little heavier. So when you shoot from further away, it's not as likely it's going to go in. Maybe it's a little bigger because these basketball players are becoming so like superhuman in their size that 
Maybe it's becoming too easy for them to palm a basketball and we have to make it bigger. Like all these different considerations for how we can evolve the actual play of the sport could originate with something like a basketball that we don't already put much thought into. That's a super interesting perspective that I personally have not thought about, to be honest. But I see parallels to other industries where, you know, these manufacturing restrictions have kind of shaped the way that we think about certain parts and products. And now that you take away these restrictions, a completely new set of possibilities becomes true. And other manufacturing in this case can truly be a vehicle to safer sports, to more accessible sports, but also probably to sports that are more fun to watch for uh, for the audience or more fun to to play for uh, for the players. As a last question to you, because we haven't touched on this. Now you saw the basketball and you went to Chicago and you finally had it in your hands. How did it feel? It felt normal in a way that I wasn't really expecting, but it also like there were some notable differences that I came to understand were the differences that were meant to be there. So I, I think when I went to, to explain that further, when I went there, I expected it to be like, okay, this is going to feel exactly the same as regular basketball. They're trying to make it feel exactly the same. And obviously even looking at it, you're going to realize that's not the case. Like there's literal holes in the thing where there's not holes in a, in a standard Wilson basketball. And so as I was playing with it, like I, the performance of this ball was exactly like a basketball. Like you almost couldn't believe your eyes as you were playing with it. You're like, how does this thing bounce? How does this thing, you know, like when I move it around or when I try to grip it, like it feels and, and performs tactically like a basketball. But then in a lot of ways, like as you're holding it, and even as you're looking at it, like there's very distinct your visual differences. Like I said, there's holes in it. It's black. Um, it has these logos like stamped on the side in like a really cool way. So, you know, to me, it, it was just a really a good reminder of, okay, we can, we can get the thing to be exactly like the old thing. That that's, that's not an issue at this point. Like the technology has come far enough where it's not an issue to replicate what exists. But to me, it was a really good reminder of how can we push the thing forward now? Mm -hmm. And how can we, you know, what does doing these different things, like adding holes to it, making it black, making it out of a different material that to the touch feels different. You know, how can those things push the game forward? Like we were just talking about that was, that was a cool reminder and something I wasn't really expecting to think about when I got there. But when I got there, like it, it all kind of like pieced together, um, like a puzzle in my mind and, and made total sense. Glad to hear that you had a really good time with the basketball and you had a good time experiencing additive manufacturing at first hand. Tell her, I want to thank you not only for being on the podcast, but also for giving additive manufacturing the opportunity to be seen by much more people, many more people than we typically are able to reach as an industry, really, because we live in this little bubble. And sports as the vehicle really has now allowed us to hopefully not only inspire folks to think differently about sports, but also those kids that you talked about to look into additive manufacturing as a cool technology and to think about maybe additive manufacturing or manufacturing in general as a career path. So thanks again for being here and thanks again for being an advocate for additive manufacturing. Of course, you guys have been fantastic to work with and it's been a real pleasure. And that's a wrap on this episode of the Additive Snack Podcast. A huge thank you goes out to our phenomenal guests, Dr. Nadine Lipper and Tyler Webb for giving us an insider's look at the creation and reveal of the groundbreaking airless prototype basketball. We've heard about the electrifying moment at the NBA dunk contest where this unique airless basketball made its first dunk. We delved into the fascinating world of additive manufacturing, understanding the meticulous process and relentless innovation it took to bring this project to life. Remember, innovation isn't just about ideas. 
It's about making ideas happen. So keep imagining, keep innovating, and who knows, maybe one day your creation will make it to the global stage, just like the Ellis prototype basketball. Next week, we'll talk to Thierry Crick from Bauer, where we discuss the development journey of the world's first additively manufactured hockey helmet. So don't forget to share this episode with your friends and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Stay tuned for more exciting stories from the world of additive manufacturing. I'm your host, Fabian Alafeld, and I'll see you in the next episode of the Additive Snack Podcast. A special thanks for the production of this episode goes out to Kristen War, Shannon Meredith, and Jenna Phillips, as well as Eric Begay and the Podfly team.